0: So, we're in this series again in Acts, rooted in the faith that Sarah just demonstrated. This treasuring Christ above all else, that's the foundation of it. And we've been looking at principles of what made that early church so unstoppable and so formidable. Now, Luke, as he tells us the story again, we've been talking about it, also tells us about challenges, some from outside the church, some from inside, a lack of character. A lack of integrity the church grew we looked at it last week Uh, uh, but we're going to look at another principle Uh, this time there's opposition again from the outside and what we're going to see we're going to be focusing on Stephen lots of great texts in the Bible I love the whole Bible but this would be in my top five accounts of scripture What Luke's trying to convey here about what the reality of Jesus means to our lives and how it gets expressed. So, so, so we're going to walk through it. But what we're going to see is we're going to identify two principles. But what we're going to see is God's ways for promoting the gospel and moving it forward. He may choose to use ways that are not always our preference. I'll tell you, not always my preference but the confidence that God is working to promote the news that helps folks like Sarah find this new life. That's what we're talking about. So the setting. Last week, you remember, we were talking about the church was growing, so they picked these godly guys to help the widows get fed. Because promoting the gospel is first, so is loving people. That is first as well. The two are inseparable, Loving God and loving people cannot be separated. So introduce Stephen as one of those guys. Now, in these first 15 verses in chapter 6, as we go on in the story, I think there could be some question about Stephen's discretion, his wisdom in saying what he does. Luke. To absolutely eliminate that sets up Stephen like just about nobody in Scripture and trying to make it clear he is speaking on behalf of God. He's a man of good repute. He's full of spirit and wisdom. He's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's full of grace and power. He's doing great wonders and signs, and his face was like the face of an angel. Pretty good. I think what Luke's describing is there's a glow about him, maybe somewhat like Moses had when he came down off of Mount Sinai. But here's Luke's point as he goes through the story. Don't be questioned whether or not he's speaking for God, and don't be questioned whether or not he's doing God's will. But Stephen is accused of having a lousy view of God. He's helping the widows get their food, but like everybody, he's still preaching. He's talking about Jesus, and they can't stand up against his wisdom, the Jews who are opposed to Christ. So what they do is they make up lies, and they bring these false accusations to the the Jewish council because they want to get him in trouble. He blasphemes words against Moses and God. This is like the worst. He speaks words against this holy place, against God, and the law. Stephen, here's what they're saying. Stephen, and they're making it up. You don't get who God is. You got a lousy theology. You're not a good Jew by faith. Stephen responds. Now, it's a long sermon, so I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read it. It's a brilliant sermon. He's accused of having lousy theology. Don't really understand Jewish history. You don't really understand Jewish theology and he's gonna demonstrate, no, he gets it quite well. He starts by talking about Abraham who was chosen by God and God makes promises to Abraham and to his children. You're gonna have a lot of descendants and through one of those descendants, the whole world is gonna be blessed. That guy's name is Jesus. And you're gonna inherit this promised land. He then moves to talking about Joseph. Joseph was chosen by God. You remember he's the youngest of those children of, uh, of, of Jacob? You guys remember the story? But he's rejected by his brothers. Now, if you do some Jewish history, in the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them are named after Joseph's brothers. Two of them are Joseph's children, two of them are Joseph's sons. But what this is, is a symbol of them rejecting God when they put him in the pit. You remember? It's a symbol of their rejecting God's plan to use Joseph specially. And what Stephen's gonna say in his sermon is this is the cause of your going into bondage. You guys rejecting the man that God chose to help lead you, the brothers? This is the source of your going into Egypt. Then he jumps to Moses, chosen by God and rejected by the Jews. You remember, Pharaoh's daughter saved him at three months old. Raised him at 40 years old. He's walking around Egypt. He sees an Egyptian uh, beaten up a a Jew. And and, and so he he takes care of the Egyptian and solves that. Believing Stephen's going to tell us. Thinking that the Jews will love that. But but he comes back the next day. Two Jews are fighting. And and he says, hey, can we reconcile? And they go, hey, who made you the ruler? Are you going to do to one of us what you did to the Egyptian? God sends this deliverer they reject him. He's 40 years old. He goes out in the wilderness for 40 years. You guys remember that story? And then God comes to him, and God chooses him again. He says, I'm going to send you back into Egypt, and you're going to free my people. Remember the story of the 10 plagues? Moses says, who am I? Who should I tell him sent me? Tell him, I am sent you. God. You read them, they go across the, 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 the Red Sea, they got all those miracles, and what of the Jews again, when they get in the wilderness, make a golden calf for us, will you, Aaron? And they again reject God and the folks that he sent to deliver them. So we, we have a pattern of God sending people to deliver them and the Jews rejecting him. Now there's a gazillion more illustrations that Stephen could have used. But these are the primary ones. And he ends with David and Solomon. David wanted to build this house for God. They had this place that represented where he was going to place. And Solomon finally got to build it. And if you go back and read the sermon, here's here's Stephen's point. You guys have way too small a view of God. You think he's contained in this temple. You don't get who he is. He's huge. He can't be contained in a temple. So here's Stephen's summary of the sermon thus far, my summary of his summary. God has been faithful to y'all. He promised extraordinary blessings to Abraham and his descendants. That would be all of us. But they've been delayed. You accuse me of being a bad Jew theologically? I get it. I get who God is. I get how he's working. He chose Abraham. The record of that relationship with Abraham and his children, we call it the Old Testament, the record of it is how we know God. And he is forgiving over and over and over again. He sent deliverers that you kept rejecting. Here's his sermon application. You guys, you guys. Now, he's trying to promote the love of Jesus. He's trying to help these guys get what Sarah gets, that there's a forgiveness and there's a life in Jesus that's found no place else. And so he's speaking them directly, but he says, you guys are the ones with the lousy view of God. We'll pick it up now, chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, Now, if you'd like a biblical support for name-calling, you might be tempted to use these verses. (laughs) Deep meaning in this. You stiff-necked people that are unwilling to look at the truth. You got your eyes set right here. You think you got it, and you don't. You men, you've been circumcised physically, but you haven't been circumcised spiritually. He's telling them their theology of God stinks. Now that's what they're accusing him of. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, and I've just given you illustrations here of Moses and Joseph. I could have given you way more illustrations. As your fathers did, as your predecessors did, that's what you're doing. Which of the prophets sent from God did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, the one that God said was going to come and change everything. Whom you have now betrayed and murdered. The one you say you're looking for, the great Messiah, the one you've been saying for centuries you're looking for, you guys killed him. You received the law as delivered by angels, but you did not keep it. Now Stephen's motive here is to help them see the truth of Christ. But to do that he has to help them understand where they are they think they have a holy view of God they do not they think they got this faith thing wired they do not And so he starts by making it clear that they have a misunderstanding of who God is and his plan and for centuries that's been going on and they have now just illustrated it the Jews response I would hope for something different. But Luke's going to make absolutely clear they understood what Stephen was saying. He's doing what you all pay me to do. And the response he gets is, let's kill him. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The grace of Christ. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him, and then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Don't miss the connection. Come back next week. <laughs> Stephen is a, uh, uh, Luke is a brilliant author. This book is filled with significance, theological depth. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed at him. In verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees again, he cried out with a loud voice, do not hold the sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He was stoned for doing what God has called us all to do. Share the truth of who Jesus is from our experience. It's not lost on me. I get paid to live in Southern California. We all face challenges in life. I'm trying to think of a bigger one than getting stoned for joyfully and happily promoting the joy that's found in Jesus alone. Life is hard. There are challenges. He got killed for doing what God calls us all to do. I don't mean to diminish anybody's pain, anybody's difficulty, anybody's hardship. in Stephen's response. You guys ever get frustrated and face some difficult things? You ever have people feel like they're taking advantage of you? Embracing Jesus, being filled with his love Where our desire, our top desire, is to share that experience that we've had with others that they might enjoy the same thing. Can you just imagine if all the Christians in America lived this way, what the reputation of Jesus would be? Did Stephen stand? Did Stephen stand for the gospel? unmistakably, unabashedly, unashamedly. And what was his response when they killed him? As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm going to be with you soon. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, just, I just try to dream of the church, of me living this way. I can tell you, I fell, I face frustrations that are of limp almost of no consequence compared to this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That's a euphemism. For he died. So the Jews' response. We took care of him, we killed him, let's persecute all the Christians. And Saul approved of his execution. Again, don't miss this and come back next week. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Stephen preaches the gospel. He gets killed. And the result of his preaching is that all the rest of the Christians have to run for their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm part of that early church, I'm pretty confident this is what I'd be thinking. Stephen, you moron. Have you not been paying attention? The church is growing. We had 3,000 added at Pentecost. We got more and more than are being added because we're a loving community. We're not perfect, but people are being saved. Stephen, couldn't you just have controlled your mouth Now I gotta pack up my family. I gotta move to someplace else, get a new job, find a new home, I've gotta start over. Because you couldn't keep your stinking mouth shut. I love Jesus, but what in the world were you doing, Stephen? This has implications not just for you, but for me and my family and all the other believers. And I love their response. We're talking about what made the early church go, what made it so formidable. They're running for their lives, getting new homes and new jobs. What do they say? Let's just keep sharing Jesus wherever we go. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Want to know what made the early church so formidable? The personal conviction that those who've had the experience that Sarah just illustrated, that there ain't anything more important than Jesus. Nothing. Now, Paul's been, Luke, rather, as he writes this, has been painting with a broad brush as well, and there are big ideas. You go back to the last words Jesus spoke in chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, I know because you pay attention better than people in any other church I've served, you remember that sermon when we looked at that text. And one of the things that made this so formidable, the church, is that Jesus gave them a strategy. Start where, according to the text? Somebody tell me real loud. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Then go where? Yeah. Judea and Samaria. And then, to the end of the earth. then to the ends of the earth. Start where? Jerusalem. Now, because you guys read the text so well, in chapter 5, you remember this. And when they had brought them, this is the Jewish council, they set them before the council, the Jewish leaders that were trying to get them to stop. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not in teaching his name, but here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Where were they supposed to start? Jerusalem. They'd filled Jerusalem, so what was the next place they were supposed to go? Judea and Samaria. Now, I tell you how we do it today, which isn't illicit. Let's figure out where they're building new homes. Let's put a strategy team together to figure this out. What Luke wants us to see is they've now filled Jerusalem. Doesn't mean everybody's a believer, obviously, but now they have got the gospel pretty well known in Jerusalem. It's time to go to Judea and Samaria, and God sends them there. How did he send them there? Stephen is stoned and the church is scattered. They don't have to have any planning meetings. They don't have to have any strategy sessions. And what happens when they're running for their lives? What did Luke tell us they did? They went preaching the word wherever they went because Jesus was the most important thing to them. He trumped No pun intended there. He oversaw (laughs) two principles. Here's the first one that Luke wants us to get as we read through this book. I had we can have confidence, and I said forget it. RCC, it's not we can have confidence. We have it. You hear me? leave some possibility that we may not have it. No, we got it. We can have confidence that God is always promoting his loving plan, even in challenging circumstances. That's our conviction. Life is hard. Life is miserable. Have you noticed there are people in America, that are opposed to Christ and promoting those values? Amen. Here's our confidence God is working in all this, all of it. And like Stephen, we're going to stand lovingly and firmly. But God, he just does these things. He did it with Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph was, was dropped in the well. His brothers sold him. They came bought him and he went. And then he rose to, to, to leadership in, in Egypt. Remember, he was running the whole country. And then they had food again, part of God's punishment for those brothers to put him in the pit. They run out of food. So uh, Joseph, Jacob and all the rest of Joseph's brothers come back to Egypt. Now, if you were one of those brothers and you finally figured out your brother is now running Egypt, are you thrilled or are you afraid? You're afraid. But there's a pattern with people who love Christ. There's a pattern with people who love God and are convinced He's involved in all circumstances. Finally, it reveals who He is to His brothers, to His Father, as you. You meant evil against me when you put me in the pit. But it doesn't matter because God meant it for good to bring it about so many people would be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. What did Stephen say when they were stoning him to death? Lord, don't hold this against him. We lovingly stand, but lovingly. Joseph, he could have done anything he wanted to him, and he'd have been justified. Verse 21, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And then against those folks that took advantage of him, Intended his demise, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I love that. You guys heard of Jesus? Most unfair, unjust, evil event in the history of mankind. The worst. And God used that for our salvation. Now, do I love this principle when it happens in my life? I don't love it when it happens in yours. I like it less when it happens in mine. But God is always working for his glory, always. And for those of us who treasure him, he's always looking for our good. Good. That's our confidence. Please understand, I don't mean to diminish any of the pain that any of you are dealing with. Finances, relational, health, emotional, whatever it is. But God's in it. That's what Luke wants us to see. And then the last, our authentic, wholehearted embracing of Jesus. When we see the truth of who he is and we go, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to live to promote your love over everything else in the world. That's my preeminent hope. That's my preeminent value. That's my preeminent vision. To enjoy you and live that everybody else I know might see your glory, your grace, and your love. That's what empowers us to joyfully speak and display his love even in the midst of challenging circumstances. God uses suffering to draw us to himself that we might lean on him a little more, find more joy when we think we need these circumstances changed. God says, come to me. And he uses those circumstances to illustrate the satisfaction we have in him when we can joyfully and lovingly stand where people may be persecuting us, where they may desire bad things for us. Where does Paul get this? Remember when Jesus said, love your enemies? We don't think of them as enemies. They think of us as enemies. We see them as folks who are in bondage to Satan who need to be freed. That's how Jesus means love your enemies. We don't hate them. They probably hate us. They're just trapped. Trust me, in our culture, you can't open a newspaper. Well, you can't open an app on your phone. (laughs) You can't watch any of the news without realizing there are a lot of people that are opposed to Jesus. And we're going to lovingly stand. Saul. Who was there? Saul. And Saul approved of his execution because he's the head guy in stamp out Christianity. Let's get rid of him. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria because that was the next place. Except apostles and devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. Approval to stoning Stephen, and he's now leading. Get these folks out of Jerusalem. Let's put them in prison. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. you got to come back next week because it's the same theme about God and his sovereignty, but he's on the road to Damascus. This is the story for next week. I'm not going to give away too much. But he hears a voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm going to tell you, his first response was, oops. (laughs) Now, you think there's any chance when he meets Jesus on that road, he doesn't think back to Stephen and what happened to Stephen? And Stephen's response. Lord, don't hold this sin against him. I guarantee you, it was key in Saul's conversion. People just don't respond like that when people are trying to take advantage of them. We get frustrated, we get angry, and we're going to fight for our rights. What made the church so formidable is they stood on Jesus unshakably unmistakably, never to be moved, but they stood in love. Think about the thousands and indirectly millions of folks that heard about the gospel because the early church was scattered. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm part of the early church, I'm like, God, couldn't we have done this another way? (laughs) Couldn't we have all, let's take everybody to Disneyland and (laughs) preach the gospel after a long day. (laughs) Then all those, our neighbors, our family members, the people we work with. My hope is that we never face what the early church faced. That's my hope. But whatever facing, circumstances in our life, here's what I promise you, people are watching. We're never gonna pretend there's not grief, we're never gonna pretend there's not sorrow, we're never gonna pretend there's not frustration. God doesn't need us to fake anything. But the genuine convictions of who Jesus is that come from going, he changed my life. The conviction that God is using all the circumstances in our life. They are all opportunities for us to be drawn to him. For us to verbalize and display. I'm walking with Jesus. You want to know why I can respond like this? Jesus loves me. He's with me wherever I go. And there's nobody, nobody, nothing better than this Jesus. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for sending us Jesus. Thanks for giving us this record recorded by Luke of how you moved in the early church. Father, it's not always easy to respond, Lord, you know me. I'm not always that good when things don't go my way. I am not always that gentle. I am not always that patient. I am not always that kind sometimes with absolutely inconsequential issues. But thanks, Father, for loving me. I love you because you loved me. Thanks for seeing me as righteous because I trust in your son. Keep working in me. Keep strengthening my faith. I pray increasingly, Father, that the response of Joseph the response of Stephen would be my response, would be our response. We're in this world to enjoy you and help others enjoy you. Father, may that always, always, always be our focus, our vision, and our priority. We pray that you would encourage us in your love, and that you'd help us to help those right now trapped in darkness and bondage to the evil one be freed. Do in more people's lives what you've done in Sarah's life. Father, you have freed her. She's gonna face challenges, but you have freed her. And she is now your child. Ah, we want to see more of that, Father. For your glory for their good and for our encouragement.